Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I am a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociative disorders, depression, anxiety, and so much more. Today, I'm very, very happy because we have a special guest and author from Canada, Tyler Foley. Since no one else is really qualified to introduce himself better than he can, I will let him take over and provide us with key information about who he is and what he's been doing in his life in, the, in our northern uh, friends of Canada. Tyler, the floor is yours, my friend. Well, thank you, Dan. And uh, I guess, yeah, if I needed to introduce myself, I would say I'm a proud Canadian, a <laughs> father, a husband, author, serial entrepreneur, uh, poor goalie, even worse drummer, and a seeker of warm beaches. And that, that, is, that pretty much sums up me and what I do. <laughs> okay, okay. So tell me, now this is a, the Happiness Journey podcast, and a lot of people have had an extreme difficulty of understanding what happiness means. Now, for some, it can be like a, a major mansion in front of the beach, as you were talking to you uh, just uh, recently, or major, like a lot of different vehicles, like sports vehicles, etc., now, for you, what is your definition of happiness, uh, Tyler? Contentment in my heart. I can be happy anywhere. And one of the things that I learned very, very early in life, luckily for me, uh, growing up as an actor and performer in, in theater, is that we are in control of our emotions. I can, I can be happy on a whim. I can choose to be happy just as much as I can choose to be sad, just as much as I can choose to be angry, just as much as I can choose to be sorrowful. There, I am in control of my emotions and have, as a human being, the ability to turn it on a switch. And I, I love when Tony Robbins demonstrates this. Dr. John Demartini demonstrates mm. this fabulously well um, to himself. But I learned that as an actor, right? In performance, I'm on stage. Is Tyler Foley, the human being, actually sad or actually happy or actually angry? Well, no, but the character needs to be, which means that I need to be, which means that I have to then mimic that. And in mimicking that, I actually become that. And that's a really profound lesson to learn six, seven, eight years old that, you know, I, I can choose to feel within my body however I want. And what I found in pretending to be happy and then actually forcing my body to be happy is that that feeling of happy is just contentment. It is contentment with my heart and being satisfied with the situation that I'm in. And as long as I can find that satisfaction, I, I'm, I'm happy. And the nice thing is, is that I, I'm aware that humans can't exist in a single state. So I'm not somebody who seeks to always be happy. I just choose to live in contentment and love, which sometimes is happy, sometimes is contemplative, and sometimes is whatever, but that I have the choice of how, my, how I feel within my body. And if I don't like how my body feels, I have the ability to change it. And okay, so if let's say you face a lot of dilemmas, hurdles in your life at any given time, what are the strategies that you take to be able to detach yourself from those challenges, evaluate them, and then afterwards be able to find tools to be able to cope with these changes and adapt to it? Well, I usually ask, where's the grace in this situation? 
Where's the grace or where is the lesson? I'm not somebody who always seeks the positive. Um, I think we don't have, every situation doesn't have to be a positive. You know, my father passed away when I was six years old. I had a medical incident at 17 that left the left side of my body paralyzed for a year. Whoa. Okay. There, I don't seek positives in that. Um, I'm sure there are if so if you really wanted to delve deep, I'm sure you could pull some out, but it's not my goal. And frankly, I find it a frustrating exercise. <laughs> what I do look for is the grace. Okay. Right. There, there is grace in each one of those situations. If it weren't for my father's passing, I probably would have never found the love of the stage, which has profoundly influenced my life in every possible way. And so my father's passing is sorrowful. And ha, you know, if I could go back, would I like to have known my father better? Absolutely. But would I change anything? No. Okay. because I would be a drastically different human being now. And I like who I am now, you know, and I don't know that I would like the person that I would have turned out to be if my father had remained alive. I don't know that I would have the emotional intelligence that I have. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know that I would be as articulate as I am. I'm sure I'd be very scholastic. My father was a teacher, uh, an entrepreneur himself, a wonderful man, very, uh, creative, uh, love the outdoors. And I share a lot of those same passions, but I don't know that like, I, you know, we, we don't know. And I can't, I can't worry about the, what if, what I do know is that it happened and it was tragic. You know, my mom had to raise me and my sister on her own. But even in saying that, I know that to not entirely be true, but because, because she was on her own, we had an entire community rally around us. I had many fathers raise me instead of just one. You know, that's a blessing. That's grace. That is, and that's, that's why I say, you know, and it's hard when you're, in, when you're in the eye of the storm, when you're in the maelstrom, when you're getting hammered by the elements, it's hard to go, where's the grace in this? True. Right? But at, when the storm passes, it's real easy to say, hey, this reset the yeah yeah this reset the playing field this turned up the nutrients in the ocean in the soil now now life is fertile again it sucked because it, it was a devastating event and it annihilated everything in its path but we forget that when one person calls annihilation another person calls a blank slate mm, true and for me I've found the best practice that I can do is ask, where is the grace in this situation? Where is the lesson? And if I can focus on that, that, that forces you to detach from the situation because now you have to get outside of your emotion. You have to get analytical. And it's that absence of emotion when you are in that state that allows you to kind of process and so for me, that's been, that's been the most helpful technique that I have used. And I've had many situations in my life where I've had to go, where is the grace? And, um, you know, even as recently as this past weekend, my wife experienced uh, a very um, profound tragedy in her work environment. She works for a very small home builder. There's only 30 people in her company. 
and they had one of their own take their life and um you know the the president of the company actually had to go and find him uh in a closet in a new build and in one of their own units and this you know that's it affected the whole company and we've just we just went through a long weekend up here in canada and my wife had the time booked off and she was supposed to travel to go act to visit my father-in-law her father and my daughter and her were going to travel across the country to the uh, i'm you know just east of the rocky mountains and they were going to go all the way to the atlantic ocean and and visit prince edward island but because of all of this covid stuff the flight ended up um she couldn't take it the the her travel pass got revoked and so she had to stay here and she found out two weeks ago and so she was quite upset about it but then this happened and all she wanted to do is be close to me and kenzie and 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 our our family and she needed time to process and grieve okay and so i was able to you know where was the grace in in the cancellation and in in that event in itself uh it's tragic and we feel so badly for his family. You know, he's leaving behind a wife and, and young children. Um, he himself was just in his early 30s. Like it, 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 oh, it, it has profoundly, profoundly has, it, has impacted this organization. But at the same time, it gave us an opportunity to reflect on who we are as a family. Um, it, it gave me a chance to be there for my wife. And, and just listen to her and watch her process the grief gave us an opportunity to, to, we had this time off. Well, she had this time off. So I just switched my schedule at that point. I canceled. I had uh, media engagements Friday and Saturday that I canceled. I was supposed to be playing hockey Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I canceled it all. I wiped my schedule. I just rescheduled everything um, because the grace in that was that the event was tragic and it's sorrowful. But the lesson was that we needed to be together as a family. There was a whole bunch that was conspiring for us to be together and just do family things together. And we ended up uh, taking a mini family vacation. We booked a hotel room. We got out of the city and just bonded as a family together uh, over the weekend, which ironically happening on the Thanksgiving weekend here in Canada, like that's that there, there is grace in that there is design there was a lesson to be learned and that was that was family was important so it, i guess it taught you to not take things for granted because sometimes we're so engulfed in our work in our uh, responsibilities that we forget what's really the most important thing because work can wait i mean your mm-hmm. employer no you know if you're gone they're going to replace you as quick as possible so you have to really learn on how to really take advantage or not none of the bad things but at least that will allow you to open your eyes and realize what's really important in life. And a lot of people- Well, it's one of the reasons why I've been self-employed for the last seven years, because I've, I value my family time together and I value my schedule. I like that I am the boss, mm-hmm. right? Like you said, if, I, if I'm not here, nobody replaces me <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> because I, I make the final say. Yes. Um, and, and I've structured my business in a way that it is self-sufficient. So if I have to step away from a media appearance, you know, if I have to cancel a podcast or if I have to, if I can't go on stage for a day, you know, it, worse things have happened. We just reschedule. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when it comes to being with my family, that is, that is the most important. And one of the other things that I've always 
remembered is, uh, you know, I don't know if Tony Robbins came up with it himself, but he's definitely the one that I know said it. Uh, and that is life happens for you, not, not to you. you. Yeah. And, and when, when you can realize that, and it's a hard thing, again, when you're in the eye of the storm, it is a hard thing to comprehend or to really digest or to understand. But if you can start looking back and reflecting, you, you see all these things. Like I see how my life has grown, you know, and when I look back, it's a straight path. But when I was living it, man, there was a lot of switchbacks. You know, like it felt like I was wandering back and forth, back and forth. But when I look back on the path, it is, it's a straight line. It's linear from A, B, C, D, and E. Mm -hmm. And that is because life is happening for us, not to us. But I, I admit that, you know, for all, all that I know internally here, there are still things that will happen. And I will go, yeah, whoa, whoa. What did I do? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to look for the, why did I need this lesson? I don't want to look for this lesson. I don't want to look for the grace. I don't want this to happen, period. So what prompted you to uh, decide to be a writer? Now, I know that you're an actor, a performer, but let's talk about the writing side. Um, what really gave you the topic to wanting to write about uh, and so on and so forth? Uh, because my agent told me I had to. <laughs> you had, okay. <laughs> okay. No, what, so I, I've... I've technically been a published author since uh, 10 or 11 years old. We used to, um, as part of my school division, um, students, uh, teachers would submit on behalf of students okay. um, some of the top work that was, was written within the grade. Mm -hmm. And my, I had a, a short story and a couple of poems get published in an anthology uh, couple of years in a row mm -hmm. and so that uh, I've published author has actually been a thing that has been in my repertoire uh, since elementary school okay. but um, when you are a professional speaker and even going be before I really focused on being a keynote and professional speaker I was a, a consultant okay and it's a uh, book is just a really good way for people to introduce yourself and, and to, and for you to get to know people and for people to get to know you, right? Like, here's my book. This is what I stand for. It, it's printed. There's, we still value books and, and it also is, is an authority maker, yes. right? Like if you are a published author, particularly if you have um, the, the luck to be a number one best-selling author, yes. which I'm fortunate that this book has has made a number one list. Um, that you, there's an authority that comes with that, and then from that you get more and bigger stages. And as somebody who teaches and coaches stagecraft and how to be a professional speaker and how to get on stage, one of the first things I tell every client that I work with is, you need to write a book. You yes. need to have a book because no stage true the big stages like you can you can speak anywhere there's tons of free places that you can go and speak but if you want to be professional if you want to make it a career if you want to start actually monetizing speech as a way of of, of a vocation 
that you have to have a book to accompany it. And you can't, I can't be a hypocrite and say, hey, look, if you want to do this professionally, you need to have a book. And you don't have it yourself. <laughs> and I don't have one myself, even though I have, because of my experience as a performer, had the luxury of having some very large stages and making this my vocation and being a paid professional speaker without a book. I, I, I was doing it for years without one. Okay. But I recognized that not only could I do better if I had one, but that it would, it would expand my influence that it would help me serve more people. Like that's the other thing too. I can only serve so many people in person, even in a, a crowd of 6,000, you know, they have to, they have to come to me where a book goes to them. I, it goes to them. They can seek it out. They don't, then they can read it on their own time. They can do things on their own time. So I was, I was definitely pressured professionally to, yes. to have the book put out there, but it was something that I was happy to do. Like it was, you know, it's, it's a fun thing to say, Hey, I'm a published author. It's even more cool to say I'm a number one best-selling author. Like you want to talk about something that supports a healthy ego yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you want to be happy. Like if I want to feel joy right now, all I have to do is think, yeah, I'm a number one best-selling author. Like and then you can't help but smile. That's just fun to say. Absolutely. It's hard. I mean, the writing part, I mean, I know I've written like several books and it's, it's time consuming sitting down, but I think it's a way to express yourself because sometimes when I write, it's like when I talk. So that's the difference. You see, like a lot of people will use very complex terminology to be able to say something while people read it said, what is he talking about? But here it's like, it's more, you express yourself in a way that you put into your writing and people can sense it. It's like, I'm talking to people face to face. And that's what the book is all about. So it's uh, it's interesting on how, but you're, the way that you structure the book, first of all, what is the title of it? So The Power to Speak Naked and the subtitle, okay. How to Speak with Confidence, Communicate Effectively and Win Your Audience. Very good. And what is the, the core element that you have used in that book so you could really reach out to the general public? Well, so the, the main messaging in that is that your story matters. And that you don't need that true storytelling comes from internal, not external. So there's many layers to the title. The power to speak naked, first of all, is a fun little poke and jab at what is what is quite possibly the worst advice that you can give a speaker. And that is to picture your audience naked. Yes, <laughs> like that is that is horrible. That is horrible advice. Don't do that. It, it doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve your audience. It does no good. Um, so it's a little bit of a jab because I would rather that somebody have the power to speak naked than to picture their audience naked. Uh, the next bit of it is I want you to be able to strip down and be able to give a presentation without the PowerPoints, without the props, without a podium, AV, PA, all of that stuff is, is not necessary. I mean, there's going to be people who get to see the video of this podcast, but most people are turn, tuning into the happiness journey to listen to Dr. Dan from an audio perspective. And right now they're listening to us. So I could pick up a copy of the book. I could show them the cover, but it does no That's good. What I have to do is say, it's a really tasteful cover with a naked dude and the power to speak naked <laughs> covering his buttocks, which by the way, offends Jeff Bezos's e-commerce site to the point where they will not allow me to uh, advertise my book on that site. Even though it's available on it, they I cannot advertise it because it breaches their 
their policy when it comes to advertising and nudity, which I think is hilarious because I don't think the book is that bad. But now your audience is curious because they haven't been able to see it. Correct. Right. And that's the point of true storytelling. A, a, an effective presentation is to uh, grab somebody's curiosity, grab their attention, make them want to to know more. And do, you can do that without all of the gimmicks. So I want them to be able to give a, a naked presentation in that it's just them and their voice and they can trust their messaging. And then on a very uh, deep level of it, the power to speak naked speaks to the ability to expose your raw naked truth. Okay. To You've allow the world to see the inner bit that you are trying to keep sheltered and protected. Because I believe strongly that the thing you're afraid to say is very likely what your audience needs to hear. And it's in that sharing. And I don't mean that you need to, to expose your deepest, darkest secret. Like I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is there are things that you're afraid to say that you're censoring yourself on a daily basis. And those are the things that's the meat. That's the juice. That's the, that's where we connect. Mm -hmm. That's where your story has power. And it's when we censor ourselves that we are really doing a disservice to the world because in our story, we could have tremendous impact if we could only reach hearts and minds. And the way to reach hearts and minds is to give the details that connect the heart and the mind so that they are in alignment. And we can only do that when we give them the details that when I can give you the emotion of the story and I can get my head to feel and empathize with my heart and, and, and my being. Um, and so the, really the book is structured on how to bring that, that out, how to do that the best, like what, what are the tips and techniques that you can use to engage your audience, to re-engage your audience, to, uh, be fully prepared to explore your story and to really understand who you are at your core and have the confidence in yourself to, to not worry about what other people think. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's the real key to public speaking is most people will claim to be afraid of public speaking. 77% of Americans polled will claim to have anxiety around public speaking. And I call BS okay. because we're not afraid of public speaking or the society as a whole would collapse. We, we wouldn't be able to exist. Commerce would never happen Correct. because in order for commerce to exist, we need to go out in public and then speak to someone else. True, but so, I mean, I think the, the magnitude of how many people look at you, because remember, when you're a speaker, people... That's exactly it. So we keep saying public speaking, and we're afraid of public speaking. And the reality is anybody who's been to a restaurant and ordered food is not afraid of public speaking. What we're afraid of is public judgment. That's true, yes. Because exactly what you're saying, if I'm ordering food in a restaurant, even though I'm speaking to a stranger, because I probably don't know my wait staff... <laughs> It's a trans. It's a one-on-one -on -one transaction, and I'm not afraid of the judgment. And the rest of the restaurant isn't looking at me, going, "I would not have ordered the penne arabata." Like that is not something I would have gotten. But when the focus is on me, now we start to be worried about what people are thinking of the message that we're giving. So we're not afraid of public speaking. What we're afraid of being judged is public judgment. Correct. And so the book is designed to show people why they don't need to fear that judgment because the reality is we've already been judged before the audience ever showed up correct and if the audience chose to be there and buy their ticket they're on your side that's true exactly. or they wouldn't have been there and if you have been gifted the stage you're the authority
whatever you're about to speak on, they're you're the subject up. matter expert. Mm -hmm. So the audience is there hoping that you succeed. So as soon as you can flip that power dynamic and know that the audience is on your side, suddenly the fear of judgment can be tackled. And so I spend a good number of chapters actually talking about being prepared so that you do actually connect with your audience in a way that serves them so that they walk away just as excited as if not more than when they came to sit down because they wouldn't have been there if they weren't on your side to begin with. Beautiful. Do you cover anything that has to do with how to promote yourself as a speaker to the speakers bureau, such as like, you know, what kind of pitch you have to give them so they can actually use you as a profile to be able to promote to, let's say if you're an entrepreneur and you're talking about uh, leverage and acquisition, then you have a specific niche of crowd that wants to come and see you. So do you tell, do you give some practicality behind all that on how to promote yourself to speakers bureau? In a roundabout way. So what we do within the book is um, there's only so much that you can tackle within a book. So I have a couple of QR codes that people can scan that takes them over to the website where we have a whole bunch of resources that allow people to do that, including my training. So once we get, I don't work with people in the book specifically to do that, but I do have training sessions on how to do that. And I set them up with, uh, you know, I, I, put them together a template so that they understand how to properly formulate a one sheet, how, and I do discuss it a little bit in the book um, with the audience analysis and, um, and understanding who you are actually applying to. And that a lot of people um, want to be me, 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 me when they're pitching. Mm -hmm. Right. So these, this is, these are my accomplishments. I am, Tyler Foley, number one best-selling author. I have the book, The Power to Speak Naked. I've been a performer for 35 years. I've been on, you know, Freddie versus Jason, Carrie, door to door. I've been in the musical ragtime. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I am a great human being. Hear me <laughs> roar. And nobody cares, yes. right? You don't care. Your audience doesn't care. The speaker bureau certainly doesn't care. Nobody cares. What you need to do is remember that you're, you're trying to sell yourself to an to an uh, somebody mm -hmm. and in this case it's usually the promoter like you're not worried about the audience right now you're worried about impressing the promoter so if you bring tyler foley to your seminar i will bring 35 years of performance experience i have a proven five-step process that will get people um telling their story in a powerful way. We break it down so that when they walk away from your seminar, they will have five powerful stories and they will know the points behind those stories and how to explore and use those stories in a powerful way. Not only that, but I have a number one best-selling book that I will make available to your audience member. You can either pre-purchase the, the copies or we can do a sale from the back of the room if you need a revenue generator. I am more than happy to pitch it. I will even stay behind and sign every book and talk to the work. If you need aftercare, I have these programs that we can put together for your um for your attendees. I will do a breakout session for your attendees. I want to make sure that for my speaker fee, I am providing you the most value. Correct. You know, And so we, we structure it so that I'm showing them all the things that they get so that they can look good to their audience so that their audience is served. Yes. And that's, that's what we do. So I do have an entire training session around that, but in the book, we just kind of allude to it because really it's about the fundamentals of speaking. And then if anybody wants to take it on and be professional, we have, we have the professional training side, 
but the book's target audience is not the yous and the me's, right? It's not the people who, who want to be on stage, you know, who want to share it with Tony Robbins or Les Brown or Brian Tracy, right? This is designed for the people who are terrified to speak up in a boardroom and subsequently their career is passing them by. They are not getting the promotions. They're not getting the raises that they could have if they could tackle this one key Elements, professional yeah. development side. And that is being more comfortable and more confident speaking their message. And then if they decide afterwards that they get awakened to the beauty and the joy that is public speaking, that, that how freeing it can actually be. Oh, yeah. And they want to take it further than we, then we work with them on the website, whether that's one-on-one or one-on-many. Beautiful. Now, if you would give one concluding piece of advice to all of our listeners related to your own version of happiness, what would you tell them? Uh, that you are in control of your own destiny, which means you're in control of your own happiness. That a lot of times, if you analyze it, if you are stuck in a pattern of misery, it's because you actually find joy in it. And if you don't like how you feel, change. The, you know, and there are so many ways to change. Change your environment, change your stimulus, change your uh, point of view, change your attitude. And literally, it can be as simple as if you are feeling stuck and you are standing up, lie down. A lot of times when I need to, to feel a reset, I will do the complete opposite of the physical stance that I am in at that moment because my physicality will affect my emotional stance. And so if I am angry standing up, I am going to lie down and look at, at the ceiling and take a moment to be contemplative that way. So you are in control of your emotions. And if you don't like how you feel, change it. Beautiful. Change something. You, if you feel stuck inside, go for a walk outside. You don't like the weather outside, go to the weather channel and watch a beach somewhere else. Exactly. Like there, there's limitless opportunities and solutions if you're willing to look for them. So if you feel that you don't like how you feel. But one important it. factor is what a lot of people experience daily, which is the term fear. They fear changes. So even though they're miserable where they are, Tyler, they fear it's comfort. They fear, yeah, it's that's it. Fear is comfort. You're right. Even though it's something that is constructed by the mind, it's still something that they perceive it to be. And the problem is that, well, if you don't like where you live because of the winter, well, move. And they can say, well, move where? Well, that's not my problem. You're the one who doesn't like it. So change. Go to Florida. Go to LA. Go to uh, the Bahamas. Who knows? But a lot of people say, well, how do I do that? So even though they have the intent, they don't have the process. They don't have the motivation and the ambition to be able to make the change that you say that you're talking about. So again, they're stuck like in the twilight zone and they just cannot get out of it. No, I, I agree. But I've also been somebody who, again, growing up in theater, the gifts that theater gave me, they're endless. And that is the power of an imagination. I can go to the beach right now. Like, honestly, I've got a, a 52 inch TV that I'm talking to you <laughs> right now. And I've got a heater right here because I'm in Canada and my basement is cold in my studio. <laughs> so I can turn on that heater. I can crank it up to 28 degrees Celsius or, you know, low mid nineties Fahrenheit. I can put on a live feed, a live feed of 
any beach in the world because they're all over. And if I want to go to Turks and Caicos right now, I'm going to do that. If I want to go to the Bahamas, I can do that. I can get a, a live feed from Thailand if I want to. I can be on the, the front, the beach in Koh Samoy. And I can turn this on and I can imagine that I'm there. And guess how I'm going to feel when I do it? Amazing. Happy. Yeah. I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be content <laughs> in my heart. Even, even though it's virtual, I still get to do it. So if you can't, if it's fearful and you can't imagine leaving the comfort of your own home, you can still virtually go anywhere. You can reconstruct that in your mind. And, and again, fear, anger, depression, they're all real, but they're all constructs. And we have the ability to change how we feel on a dime. And I know it to be true through performance. So if you are content and happy and satisfied in your misery, well, don't change. But if you are somebody who is frustrated by it and wants to, you have the power to do it. So just remember, don't give your power away to randoms and, and uncontrollable circumstances. Take your power back. Beautiful. Choose to feel however you want to feel, but make it an active choice instead of a passive one. Excellent. Well, Tyler, that's all the time we have for today's podcast. I would like you to, I would like to thank you for your time today. And also thank you for participating and inspiring our many listeners. Now we'll hope that we all have enjoyed today's episode. I'm very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for the happiness journey podcast filled with inspirational stories, just like this one you heard today. Now here are the few concluding words of wisdom, which is really, it's a bit of what we said as well, uh, Tyler. When it comes to setting aside all time each day to visualize, look at it this way. No matter how distracted you become or how confused you're about to process, the simple fact that you gave your dream this time and attention means you did it correctly. You did it long enough. And that by the time you open your eyes, already on the unseen, huge wheels have begun turning. Never give up on visualizing part as your momentum is gaining speed and speed is what you need to get to where you want to go a little bit quicker than usual. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you have yourself a wonderful day.